And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Hi, I'm Tom Laurie, and I will be your host today. Thank you for joining us. Today we have Dr. Rick Brinkman as our guest mentor. As a well-known, respected expert on creating change and human interaction, he has developed training programs on the art of change for some of the best-known organizations in the world, including NASA, the Department of Defense, Starbucks, Sony, and Boeing. We will focus on change today and how we interact with one another, and it's not quite what you think. We will be talking to Dr. Brinkman about changing how we interact with people we do not like, something that has universal appeal. He is the co-author of the international best-selling Dealing with People You Can't Stand, How to Bring the Best Out of People at Their Worst, and the author of four other books, including Dealing with Relatives. Dealing with People We Can't Stand is, as I said, a universal issue that crosses all boundaries, race, ethnicity, religion, gender, age, education, etc. So let's get started. There's a lot here. This is a show that I think will find uh, great interest with all of you in the audience. Welcome, Rick. And what inspired you to devote your life to creating change in human interaction? Well, um, I'm trained as a naturopathic physician, which is a holistic medical uh, degree, and uh, I went into private practice, and I met a medical doctor who told me the symptom is a metaphor for what's going on, and if someone has uterine bleeding, you should ask them if those are teardrops, what would you be crying about? I started counseling more and more people, digging into their uh, beyond their symptoms on the physical symptoms on the surface, but getting deeper. And I found uh, very significant relationship communication issues or life fulfillment issues. And uh, I found when I taught people the communication skills to solve that problem, lo and behold, in days to weeks, their symptoms uh, went away. I found when I had people clarify their values, set some goals, make a plan and tune up their self-esteem, depression would suddenly magically disappear before my eyes. So... Very quickly, I went from private practice to public practice, and here I am, 4,000 programs, 18 countries later, having taught communication and life fulfillment. I know that your book, which has sold over 3 million copies, is on the Navy's reading list. Why have they adopted really? I didn't it? I know that. <laughs> yes. It is. Anyways, why do you have any idea what impact it's had? Uh, well, I'm sure you know the impact it's had on organizations. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, the beauty of it all is everybody knows how to communicate. Uh, and uh, there's a zillion opportunities every day to practice and get better. The name of the game is to stay conscious of what's working and what's not working and learn from all your experience. And if you uh, any interaction with somebody, whether you consider it a positive one or a negative one, if you take a few moments to debrief and ask yourself, all right, what, what, what didn't work in that interaction? Um, what have I never tried before with this person? Then you're going to be on an ever-expanding course of getting better and, and, and better. And the people you can't stand, you know, we identify 10 behaviors that seem to be very universal. And I must admit that my co-author and I were really surprised that uh, it became such an international bestseller because different cultures have different rules about the communication uh, game. You know, the Japanese are going to be all polite and proper, and it's very hard to know where they really stand. But uh, the book has been translated into 25 languages, and it's been out there 20 years now, and it just keeps going and going. Well, we're going to talk about your uh, construct and what you've learned, but I think a good way to get started is uh, take one example, and let's work that through a little bit. And the one I 
I mean, we can talk about the boss who is a bully and a petty tyrant and power. We're going to come back to some of that or the coworker who promises results but never delivers. Uh, there are so many examples, and we'll get in a little bit to some of that. We'll at least talk about the 10 types and what they are, but we'll drill down on a couple of them. The one I'd like to start with, and then we'll go into the construct, is the uh, the know-it-all, the one who knows everything, the one who wants to be involved in everything. And I've dealt with uh, a number of people like this in the course of my career in building companies with experts, at, uh, technical experts or whatever. It could be marketing experts, and they shut people down, and people seethe, and that can be very harmful, and they many times morph into another one of your types, and that's the sniper or, or the people that are having problems with them morph into a sniper and everyone's trying to figure out how to deal with them. What, what is it? How would, so let's take somebody that uh, I'll give you an example. It's a brilliant technical person. And not only does he think he's brilliant in technology, but everything else that he's doing and everything else that everybody else is doing, what's going on here? How do I deal with him? Well, you got uh, two kinds of know-it-alls. You got the true know-it-all. You got the think they know it all. True know-it-all knows what they're talking about. Uh, think they know it all is just acting like they do. It's an extreme need for attention. You know, in the think they know it all category, you get one-upsmanship. You were sick, they were sicker. You had a great vacation, they had a greater vacation. You had a big inauguration, they had a bigger inauguration. Whereas with the true know-it-all, they really have that depth of knowledge, but there's also a lot of ego on the surface. And uh, that's really... Uh, the challenge with uh, true know-it-all. So you do different things with both of them. With the true know-it-all that you brought up uh, first, the goal is to open their mind. This behavior is is classic close-mindedness. And uh, the first thing that you have to do is let them know that you know how much they know and appreciate their knowledge. Uh, That drops their defenses, and you don't show up as a bogey on their radar. Then the second thing you do is you start asking a lot of questions and get really curious about why they think what they think. And uh, as you dig deeper, you're going to arrive at something called criteria. Criteria are reasons. They could be for or against something. So the true know-it-all has very clear criteria about why they think something must be a certain way. Now, a really great trick is when you're gathering this information, Uh, Use some kind of visual device, whatever you have handy. If there's a whiteboard in the room, if you're in a conference room, or if there's a flip chart, or if nothing else, a yellow pad, take notes so that they can see the notes themselves. It's it's an acknowledgement to their ego. They're sure that you're getting it because they can see it. But the second thing that does is it lets you collect the totality of concepts. So let's say they have four criteria, easy to implement, it won't cost anything, uh, we can use it in all our branches and blah, blah, blah. Okay, you can't say all those at the same time. You can't hear them all at the same time. But if we write them visually, we see all the factors. And what that lets us do is once they know that we know that once they know that we know how much they know, we can indirectly lead them by saying, I was just wondering, what do you suppose if we were to do it this way? And note when you say, I was wondering what you suppose, you're asking them, oh, great one, what do you think? So you're not challenging them, but then you can uh, steer it in a different direction, and then you can add criteria to that visual list. What if you suppose that we did this? Because it will also accomplish this thing. So it's not contradicting what they're, what they're believing in. It's adding to it. And then very often the know-it-all uh, considers you an ally instead of an adversary. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue talking with uh, Dr. Rick Brinkman about the art of dealing with people you can't stand. Hello, I'm Mike Mandel, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you can move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. 
MyPillow is now offering 50% off their four-pack special plus free shipping. Go to MyPillow.com or call 1-800-890-6632, 1-800-890-6632, and use promo code MENTORS. That's 50% off plus free shipping. Don't delay. Order now. In classrooms across America, students are not learning the same history you did. Last year, McGraw-Hill apologized for calling slave trade immigration, and a popular world history textbook devotes a full chapter to Islam and Muhammad, but only a few sentences to Christianity and Christ. Recent federal testing shows students are far worse in knowledge of U.S. history than in math. Only 12% of high school students are proficient in U.S. history. Today's history textbooks not only fail to engage, they favor political correctness over true history. This is a serious problem that has a far-reaching impact on our culture and our future. What are your kids and grandkids learning? At CatholicTextbookProject.com, you'll find fresh, accurate, engaging history textbooks. Used in Catholic schools in more than 60 dioceses, these textbooks are highly praised by all, even award-winning secular university professors. Go to catholictextbookproject.com to find out why. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and today we're talking with Dr. Rick Brinkman, who has spent 30 years working to bring out the best of people who are acting at their worst. We were just talking about the know-it-all, the one that those that do know it all, and the know-it-all that don't know much. Uh, you have a construct, and I want to get into that, uh, and it's something that people can find in your book uh, uh, about dealing with people uh, that you can't stand, and it's a, a circle. And it has to do, and I want you to talk a little bit about the inner part of the circle first, the get it done, get appreciated, uh, and perfection and control, and how these play into the uh, role of our understanding and also what the intent is of, because we, I guess you should talk a little bit about intent versus behavior because we mix those up as well. And I'll turn it over to you to come back with some insights on these things. (laughs) Sure. Well, what we're talking about is what we call the lens of understanding. And the first thing that's important to do is separate personality from behavior. Uh, behavior is a verb. It's fluid. It's constantly changing. One minute a person's normal, then they blow up their tantrum, then they withdraw in the quiet, then they're normal, then they're something else. Behavior changes according to context, which is where we are and what's going on or relationship who we're with. You could know somebody who seems to be a bully most of the time at work, but you wouldn't believe what a wimp they can turn into in a different context or maybe in a different relationship. My wife would tell you she has to come to a seminar and hear me speak because in most social situations, I'll be a nothing person. Of course, I explained to her, honey, I'm a professional. You have to pay me. So it's important that you think behavior instead of personality because human beings can only pay attention to seven, give or take two things at any one time. And we have a part of our brainstem called our reticular activating system, which is like radar. So if you get married, you see everyone getting married. If you have children, it looks like a baby boom. If you're interested in a certain car, there it goes again. So coming back to personality versus behavior, if I believe somebody's personality is negative, guess what I notice? Oh, there they are again. I knew it. I knew nothing would work with that person. You got to put aside the concept of personality and think behavior. Now, people may seem to be away more often because you only know them in limited context and only limited relationships. But you got to always know that they're capable of so much more. So, going back to our lens, we have the cooperation zone. And as you mentioned, there are four basic intents. We need to get things done. We want to get things done right. We want to get along. We want to get appreciated by people. Uh, now, all these intents uh, have various priorities, and depending on context, where are we, what's going on, and depending on relationship, who we're with, one of them can rise up to the top. You know, like um, you know, get like get along, for example. You can see this rise to the top a lot of times when people go to lunch. Hey, you want to go to lunch? Sure. Where would you like to go? I don't know. Where would you like to go? I don't know. Are you hungry? I don't know. Are you? Sound like I'm talking uh, to my wife. Not know for <laughs> We could figure this out, but what we're doing at that moment, we're in get-along mode, we're putting our own needs aside to please somebody else. It's part of uh, uh, getting along, and it's a little bit less assertive. So people move around that, that lens, and then if they're not getting what they need from 
the situation of people around them, then their behavior changes and they go into what we call the caution zone. So if I'm in a get-it-done mode and I think my coworkers are off track or we're at a meeting and somebody's going on and on taking down an irrelevant tangent, I'm going to start to get more controlling. Hey, people, all right, look, let's do this. I'm going to try to take over as a way of making it happen. If I want to get it right, and the people around us me are saying, oh, it's about 50, I think, you think? Then I'm going to go into perfection, into the details no one's paying attention to. If I want to get along, I'm not sure it's happening, I go into approval, do things to make sure everything's okay between us. And if I want to be appreciated, it's not happening, I do things to get people to notice me. Now, the yellow zone, though, a little bit more behaviorally extreme is not necessarily a problem. Sometimes it's a solution. You know, somebody takes charge and moves us forward. Somebody makes sure all the details get covered. But if people get too stressed out, <laughs> you want to hear something really scary? They become the 10 difficult people. All right, let's say I'm in control. Things are out of control. Tank, I can't believe I'm seeing here. You people must be genetic mistakes. You've been working on it two weeks. You're already four weeks behind. Now, here's what we're going to do. Parliament dissolved. I'm in control. You can almost hear the tread grinding, and they're looking for people off test. Find someone, boom. Somebody in tank mode can rip you apart personally. And the biggest irony, it's nothing personal. However, control will express itself in other ways. Uh, the know-it-all is a controlling behavior, who we already talked about, but they're controlling through their body of knowledge. And then, if anger gets suppressed, you can easily have a sniper yeah, I got a great idea. Let's play horse. I'll be the head. You just be yourself. Ooh, don't get all emotional. Can't you take a joke? Sniping is kind of a covert type control. It could be to your face or behind the back. Uh, if we change gears, we go to get it right. Now, from there, I could see perfection. I could see what could be. I look at what is. What is this not measure up to what could be? And then I feel helpless to do anything about it. That's how whining starts. And then all I see is problems around me. Now, whining is a feeling of being helpless, but people can also go hopeless, and that's how you get negativity. Forget it. We tried it. Nothing ever changes. Every silver cloud has a dark lining. You try to suggest an idea to them in a meeting, and they'll say, Poe, boom, got that idea. Whining is a feeling of being helpless. Negativity is, is hopeless. And sometimes, ironically, it's sourced out of their own high standard of what they think should really be. And then, you know, going back to our reticular activating system, when people go negative, if they're doing it chronically, uh, you're going to hear, I'm not being negative, I'm being realistic. And why is that happening? It's happening because I have that internal radar and I believe everything's wrong, so that's all I notice over a period of time. You can also get people who will just withdraw, fine, do it your way. Don't come crying to me when it doesn't work out, and you get nothing behavior. But nothing also sources out of another area of the lens, which is the get-along nothing, because let's face it, if you don't have something to say, don't say it at all. Out of get-along, you also get yes behavior. People are real agreeable on the surface, but you don't really know where they stand or what their true feelings are, and they can easily become passive-aggressive. You know, they suppress, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it at all, so they suppress something, but it festers, and then they become a sniper behind the back. You also get maybe behavior out of this area of the lens. I'm sure all your listeners at one point told the salesperson, I'll think about it. You weren't really planning on thinking about it. It's just an approval-oriented behavior. Shifting gears again, if we go to that get attention area of the lens, this is where you get the tantrum. Nobody cares! That's the problem world today! It's a nervous world! Yeah, tantrum is an extreme uh, demand for attention. You also get the think-they-know-it-all out of attention. You know, here you have such an ego need that somebody has to be the authority, and they speak as if they are, even though they really don't have a clue, because it's a complete narcissistic uh, demand for attention. And then, last but not least, you also get another kind of sniper, which is friendly fire, people who like you. So they say, I never get a face, but in your case, I'll make an exception. Well, we're going to take a break and come back to this, and we're going to continue with our guest, Dr. Rick Brinkman, who is the author of Dealing with People You Can't Stand. Americans have been traveling down the health insurance highway for decades. 
but lately, it's been taking us to places we don't want to go. For Christians, it's hard to know which road to take. Or is it? Samaritan Ministries provides a different direction, a biblical path for their members to pray for each other and share financially in each other's medical needs. This idea that Samaritan has adopted from the book of Acts should permeate all parts of our lives, not just health sharing. We, as a body of believers, are living out New Testament Christianity. This is what God intended for the church. Looking for a new direction for your health care? Join the hundreds of thousands of Samaritan Ministries members who are faithfully sharing millions of dollars in medical needs each month. For more information, visit us online at SamaritanMinistries.org. That's SamaritanMinistries.org. Are you struggling with how to practice your faith at work? Get answers to your questions and much more on the Catholic Business Journal. Focusing on careers and business with a Catholic perspective. That's CatholicBusinessJournal.biz. The Catholic Business Journal, generating a return on principle. CatholicBusinessJournal.biz. CatholicBusinessJournal.biz. Do you want to make a living and live a meaningful life? Is it possible to be financially successful while making a positive difference in the world? Chris Lowney, author of the best-selling business classic, Heroic Leadership, and popular speaker on topics of leadership, corporate ethics, and decision-making, shares with you his 10 simple daily habits to building a better life and world, and how to implement them in his new book, Make Today Matter. Some of these habits include don't win the race, give away your sneakers, be more grateful, and control the controllables. Make Today Matter is a 2018 Distinguished Favorite Book in the Independent Press Awards and makes the perfect gift for anyone in a time of transition, graduating high school or college, beginning a new job, or entering retirement. No matter where you are in life, it is never too late to make today matter. Available everywhere books are sold. Underwriting in part by Catherine Andes, owner of BetterWebSales.com. We help small and medium businesses improve their web sales and web traffic results. That's BetterWebSales.com. BetterWebSales.com. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Loring. Today we are talking with Rick Brinkman, Dr. Rick Brinkman, and we're talking about 10 behaviors we find most difficult to deal with at work and in life. We're delighted with the response that our show has received. If you've missed any of the shows or any previous episode, you can download our podcast by going to our website, thementorsradio.com. That is thementorsradio.com. Remember to subscribe while you're there so you do not miss any future shows. All of our content is available for free. So as you're talking about these different types, and thank you very much, you went through the entire, around the complete will, but you also have a couple of others on there, the the meddler and the martyr, and maybe you can talk about that, and then let's go into how we deal with them. Okay, yes, we have actually three more that we added to the third edition. They originally were in our book dealing with relatives. We found meddling and uh, martyr to be very common. And we also have uh, the judge, and the judge is the one that's going to give you the guilt trip. Uh, but, you know, those, those three behaviors also are found in other contexts, not just relatives, so we added them to our third edition. And uh, the judge comes out of that get-it-right perfection area of the lens. Uh, they look at what you're doing, they judge it as inadequate, and they're going to let you know. Uh, now, unlike our, our whining or negative person, they go into generalizations. Everything's wrong, nothing's right. It's always that way. The judge goes in the opposite direction into nitpicking uh, details that don't matter. Then you've got the, uh, the meddler. Now, the meddler is almost like a combination of, of half tank and half judge in that they're, they're judging you that you're not doing what they think you should be doing, and then the more assertive, get-it-done, controlling part of them then takes over and does it for you. And that's, that's the meddling. It's when you kind of mate a judge to a tank. And then as far as the martyr goes, the martyr happens at the bottom of our lens where get-along meets uh, 
get appreciated. So that's approval and need for attention. And uh, the martyr is doing all these nice things, let's say, for family members, but the trap is very often the things they're doing are nothing the family member wants them to do. So they're not really getting the appreciation they seek. They're not just being nice, but they also want that appreciation and significance at a deeper level. So then they try to do even more, but, of course, it's nothing the family member wants, so they get it even less. Do more, get it less, do more, get it less, and they, they go round and uh, round. And so that's the cycle, the break. I mean, given that it's holiday time, a lot of times uh, what you have to do with a martyr is establish a, uh, a boundary. Like, I don't want you to do this, but, and you don't dwell on that, but you go, I'd love it if you could do this. And come up with things that they actually could do for you that you would genuinely appreciate. And then they're going to get the... Uh, the, their, uh, the appreciation they seek and the behavior doesn't have to be so out of control. Now, I got uh, interested in your book because I was dealing with somebody I couldn't stand. And in the mm-hmm. book, you go through all these different types and, and show strategies on how you can deal with them. We don't have time to go through all of them. What are the uh, ones that you hear most about? And let's pick a couple and drill down on how we can go forward and deal with these types so we can give our audience some practical tools and how, how to think about these things. Yeah, well, you know, I think a lot of these types are um, like, you think of them like workout machines in a gym. Each one's going to teach you something else, like what the know-it-all's uh, going to teach us is uh, a level of, of patience and how to open a closed mind. And uh, let's drill down into that. I mentioned criteria. I remember I was sitting in my office with a couple. At the end of the visit, everybody was feeling good. She suddenly turns to him and says, honey, let's go to the Rose Garden. And he goes, nah. And she goes, okay. And I say, wait a second. Why did you bring this up? What's your intent? Why do you want to go to the Rose Garden? She says, well, we're feeling closer than we have in a long time. We have an hour for us to pick up the kids. I thought it'd be nice to spend some quiet time together. He goes, that's a great idea. I don't be outside, too hot, too buggy. How about the cafe we've been meeting to try? She says, sure. Now I ask you, your studio audience, does she care about going to the Rose Gardens? No. She cares about spending time together. Now in communication, that's intent. That's the intent. Uh, and it, I urge people to think of communication like a phone number. You need all the digits and you need them in the right order. Intent is the area code. It puts you in the right general vicinity uh, with people. You know, what I saw a lot with couples, intent might be positive and doesn't get expressed, and then you have a misunderstanding. Let's say somebody is upset about something, they want to clear the air. They go to their partner, but they don't speak their intent. They just say, you know, I was upset the other day when you said, and before you know it, their partner hears a sound in their mind, we are under attack. This is not a drill. So... Right hold, hold that thought. Hold that thought a second. That? This is Tom Laurie. Okay. You're listening to the Mentors Radio. Today we have Dr. Rick Brinkman, and we are talking about dealing with people you can't stand. So go continue with that thought. I'm sorry. Uh, no problem. So uh, back to our couple in the Rose Gardens, if she, uh, if she started with intent, hey, we've been feeling close, and then we have a long time. To, like, we have an hour. I was thinking, let's spend some time together. That would have That would have set it up in a different realm. But let's go back to the criteria. So the criteria are reasons. So uh, why did she choose Rose Gardens? Why not dinner for two or a movie or a cruise? Well, okay, they had a time criterion. They have an hour to pick up the kids. Maybe there was geography. It's on the way home. Maybe this budgetary criteria won't cost anything. Uh, maybe it's a special place of meaning to them. And whenever people have an idea, they, it, it originates with the intent. They then run the intent through the relevant criteria, and out pops the idea. But I've noticed in communication, more often than not, people do not communicate intent or criteria. They just say, like she did, Rose Gardens, and now you have a misunderstanding. Once he understands the intent, oh, he adds some more criteria, be indoors, and it becomes the cafe. So I find if I can leave your listeners in one thing, if you pay attention to communicating your intent first, and then your criteria set, and then the solution or whatever your presentation, that's the order of the phone number, intent, criteria, idea. And uh, as, a, as a, what I call a conscious communicator, you're not going to depend on other people to communicate clearly. What you're going to do is, like if he was doing that, when she just says Rose Gardens out of nowhere, instead of going, nah, he'd go, why would you want to do that? 
and he would reveal the intent. And then what makes you say Rose Garden specifically? And then the criteria would be revealed. And so I urge your listeners to always think intent, criteria, idea. Now, what, what um, when you're dealing with these things, tone, tone has a big role to play in all of this as well, doesn't it? Tone and... Oh, huge. Absolutely huge. You know, a study was once done at UCLA uh, by Professor Alan Moravian. He, he uh, made a film with some people communicating. He then took the soundtrack off the film, ran through a synthesizer, making the words incomprehensible. The tone, volume, and speed were intact. He then had a transcript prepared. It was actually said. He gathered a group of people. He shows them the film. There's no sound, no words. Just... And he plays the soundtrack, and the words are images. Just... And he lets people read it. And most people think it's three different interactions. This is a business meeting. Those people are angry. These are obviously good friends. They're shocked or no, it's the same interaction. He says, what do you believe? And based on their responses, he concludes that 55% of the meaning we make in the communication is based on how that looks to us, 38% how it sounds to us, and 7% is the actual words that are spoken. And this is what I call the 55, 38, and 7. Now, what these numbers really mean, they're all important, but if there's a mismatch we're going to believe the higher number. So I'm sure all your listeners have had the experience of being a customer and somebody's customer serving them, and they say, have a nice day. Now, do you think they really care about your day? Why not? They said the magic words, have a nice day. The way it sounds does not match. Whenever there's a mismatch, we go with the higher number. Now, in general, when we're successful with people, we're sending congruent messages, all channels, same direction. The most common place there's a mismatch is usually between how it sounds and what gets said. Because tone reflects emotional state. So wherever a person is emotionally comes through their tone. Conscious mind picks the concepts. So the trap is you feel something, you try to suppress it, then you say what you have to say, but then your emotional state leaks out through your tone, and all of a sudden people are ignoring your words, only responding to tone. When it comes to rock, paper, scissors, words, tone, tone crushes words. And I imagine the uh, nonverbal uh, is also pretty important. Oh, we're going to come back to that. We're gonna, their eyes. We're, let's come back to nonverbal in a second. We're going to have to take a break. Uh, when we continue, we're going to continue with our guest, Dr. Rick Brinkman, who's the author of Dealing with People You Can't Stand. Do you have a message for our listeners? Imagine right now, instead of hearing these words, you could be hearing your message on the Mentors Radio Show. We offer a multimedia package and special benefits available only for our radio partners. We love to customize a package that best suits your needs and goals. See for yourself. Give us a call at 844-610-8255. That's 844-610-TALK. 844-610-8255. Or drop us a note at thementorsradio.com to learn more. Americans have been traveling down the health insurance highway for decades. But lately, it's been taking us to places we don't want to go. For Christians, it's hard to know which road to take. Or is it? Samaritan Ministries provides a different direction, a biblical path for their members to pray for each other and share financially in each other's medical needs. This idea that Samaritan has adopted from the book of Acts should permeate all parts of our lives, not just health sharing. We, as a body of believers, are living out New Testament Christianity. This is what God intended for the church. Looking for a new direction for your health care? Join the hundreds of thousands of Samaritan Ministries members who are faithfully sharing millions of dollars in medical needs each month. For more information, visit us online at SamaritanMinistries.org. That's SamaritanMinistries.org. Do you have a message for our listeners? Imagine right now, instead of hearing these words, you could be hearing your message on the Mentors Radio Show. We offer a multimedia package and special benefits available only for our radio partners. We love to customize a package that best suits your needs and goals. See for yourself. Give us a call at 844-610-8255. That's 844-610-TALK. 844-610-8255. Or drop us a note at thementorsradio.com to learn more. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. 
Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie. We're talking today with Dr. Rick Brinkman about strategies to deal with people you cannot stand. If you have any questions or feedback, call anytime at 844-810-TALK. That's 844-810-8255. We were talking about uh, tone, and we skipped into, we actually segued into the nonverbals. And maybe you could just briefly talk about nonverbal expressions. They have a big role to play as well. Yeah, you know, uh, your listeners remember the show Candid Camera, and in case anybody's too young, they create a weird situation, have a hidden camera, see what people do with it. When they got off of uh, network TV and they went to videotape, they had an outrageous uh, version. They went to go over to doctor's waiting room, hired a bunch of, bunch of actors and actresses sit around the waiting room reading magazines waiting for the doctor, except these people were dressed only in their underwear. So patients would come in, be instantly shocked, and in 30 seconds they would hang up their clothes, pick up a magazine, and wait for the doctor. <laughs> Urge your listeners to try it at a meeting. See what happens. Difficult people won't bother you. I mean, how it looks is, is definitely huge, although it's not as often that there's a mismatch between how you look and how you sound, because how you sound is very much wired to your, your body. And, in fact, uh, especially on a, in a phone situation, the way you can control your tone is with your body. If you need to be more assertive, you stand up. If you need to chill and relax, put yourself in a comfortable position. If you smile like I am right now, it automatically changes uh, your, your tone. Uh, the biggest mismatch is usually between words and tone. Body language and tone tends to match up. So let's come back to talking uh, or communicating over the phone. Uh, I... Uh... Just last week, uh, instructed a young entrepreneur who's building a service business, and when she answered the phone, it was, hi, this is Joanne. Mm-hmm. And I, ca- I cautioned her. I said, there's no energy. You've got – so, and I know you've got eight ounces of prevention in terms of how to better communicate over the phone. And, and you have obviously talked about one, and that's changing your, your – uh, position, your, how you're sitting or standing or whatever. What else do you recommend for people when we're dealing over the phone? Well, um, in general, I know when to pick up the phone and when you should write something. You know, if there's uh, uh, any kind of touching situation, uh, the phone is, or, in, or direct interaction is very important because, um, especially, you know, in email communications, the problem is there is no tone in email. But it's a projected tone. The, the reader is going to project the tone on the email based on their own blood sugar curve and stress level. So uh, I found that there's so much more misunderstanding in email than being on the phone because you really on the phone, you're just missing the visual component. But you do have the 7% and you do have the 30, uh, 38%. Uh, I think that's just your, your energy is, is the biggest thing, just to control your, your tone. I have somebody that I work with, uh, a pretty critical individual, not part of the organization, outside the organization, but critical to us. And one of the things I found is he uh, it's, he, he, he can't pick up the phone. He doesn't pick up the phone. Uh, the way he communicates are with five-page uh, emails. Uh, what, mm-hmm. what would you recommend uh, we deal with somebody like that? Well, really, you have to have a conversation with that person at one point, and you point out when when to bail on email and when to uh, when to stay in in writing, and uh, you can draw a line and say, "I'm not reading five page emails." Okay, if it's any longer than this, we should be talking to each other, and uh, I'm going to ignore it. Uh, that's one way, and just refuse to go in certain places. You know, like I, especially let's say if you think somebody might be upset. Let's say I received that email, I, I would first acknowledge what, what I think is going on. Listen, I know uh, this is very important to you. You're taking your valuable time to write write me. Anytime you acknowledge what might be true, that's called a blending statement, and it builds rapport between the two of you. So if the person thinks what they have to say is important, and they took their time, I mean, those are blending statements. Uh, and I think this is too important for us to uh, discuss in email what's a good time for you to talk? And if they come back with another round, you just, I get it's important. You've written me twice. Your time is valuable. I agree we need to discuss this. Here's three times that worked for me. Pick whichever one works for you and just refuse to go there. 
I had to train a friend of mine into only having one subject per email, you know, because he would put a, multiple things in one email, and the subject line, of course, then didn't match what was really in the email. And I, I pulled him aside once, and I said, hey, I'm only going to answer one subject in any email. And what I did for a while is if he had three subjects, I would just answer the first one and ignore the next two. Huh. didn't take more than twice before he came around. That's great advice. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio we are talking to Dr. Rick Brinkman, who spent 30 years working to bring out the best uh, of people who are at their worst. Um, so we've talked about a little bit about email and phone. Is there anything else you can add? I know email is really a hot subject, and a lot of people get into trouble on that. Is there anything more you can oh, add to you, that? Yes. The, uh, here's my advice when to bail on email. Uh, if you suspect emotional content, if you're having a strong reaction to whatever you're hallucinating about, and you do realize you hallucinate freely because you think you know what the tone of the email is, but you really don't know the person's tone. You're projecting on it based on your blood sugar curve and your stress level. So if you suspect emotional content, uh, either you're having a reaction or they are, bail on email and go interact. You'll save yourself a lot of time. Because look, even if you're right okay, about their emotional response, it's out of sync. So Two hours later, you respond. They already moved out of their emotional response. You shove them right back in. So this, this thing just perpetuates itself out of control. Uh, if you have to clarify, that would be the second thing. Clarification means making sure we both understand and we're on the same page. Uh, there's, no, there's no check and balance in email. I could think I totally understand what you're writing to me about, but for all I know, we're not on, not on the same page. We're not even the same book because there's no way to be sure I understand. So uh, if you suspect emotional content, if to clarify, and uh, last but not least, if you write something and you have that little bit of feeling, yeah, should I really send this? Trust that feeling. Don't send it. Pick up the phone and get into an interactive format or face-to-face. It, interactive is, is the key. Yeah, I, I, I prefer the face-to-face as much as I could do. You talk uh, a great deal, or write a great deal about attention and limited attention. Uh, could you just talk about that in a few words and some advice to people? It yeah. seems to be attention well, attention to deficit, deficit seems to be running rampant. It is. Well, we have so many more inputs uh, now. We're, you know, modes of communication and text and multiple phone numbers and work and home and cell and emails and, and tweets and Facebook posts. I mean, it's coming at us from all sides like never before, but what hasn't changed is you can still only pay attention to seven, give or take two things at one time. This research is done in the, the mid-50s. It was called the magic number seven. So you could be aware of what I'm, I just said, what you think about the radio breathing, temperature in the right foot, and if we hear crash, there goes our attention, something drops out. So you have to understand that you have limited attention. And uh, try to... Uh, well, I know for myself to work on certain projects, like let's say the book, People Can't Stand, or this is true with dealing with meetings you can't stand, the latest book, I, I had to leave my office and just go someplace where it was just me and my computer. Uh, plain time was great for that because there are no uh, phone calls or texts or anybody interrupting me. So uh, you can't really change the amount of attention you have as a human and life form, but what you want to do is put yourself in situations that are non-distracting when you can. Yeah, I find being on an airplane is, uh, I can be totally focused and get through a lot of things, and I get a, you can't pay attention to the person next to you who always wants to interrupt and talk to you. But we're going to go to our final break, and when we return, uh, we will continue with our guest, uh, Dr. Rick Brinkman, and talking about dealing with people you can't stand. Hey, there's something new for you at the mentorsradio.com website, a new special offers page. There you'll find unique offers available only to our listeners, you. For example, have you ever wondered if a career coach could help you get to the next level? Find out. For a limited time, a superb career coach is offering you a free session. The offers change all the time, so bookmark thementorsradio.com. That's thementorsradio.com, thementorsradio.com. There's a new book out that will open your eyes in ways you never expected. It's called Bully of Asia by Stephen W. Mosier, a critically acclaimed author and internationally recognized authority on China. 
In Bully of Asia, you'll find insightful and timely commentary on the economic and geopolitical rise of the People's Republic of China. You'll learn what China's aspirations for resurgence and hegemony mean for America and the free world. Bully of Asia is a must-read for anyone concerned about China's growing power and influence, and the threat of an increasingly aggressive and militaristic China poses to Western democratic values. To get your copy of Bully of Asia, go to bullyofasia.com. That's bullyofasia.com. Find out why China's dream is the new threat to world order. Bullyofasia.com. Underwriting in part by Catherine Andes, owner of BetterWebSales.com. We help small and medium businesses improve their web sales and web traffic results. That's BetterWebSales.com. BetterWebSales.com. Do you want to make a living and live a meaningful life? Is it possible to be financially successful while making a positive difference in the world? Chris Lowney, author of the best-selling business classic, Heroic Leadership, and popular speaker on topics of leadership, corporate ethics, and decision-making, shares with you his 10 simple daily habits to building a better life and world, and how to implement them in his new book, Make Today Matter. Some of these habits include don't win the race, give away your sneakers, be more grateful, and control the controllables. Make Today Matter is a 2018 Distinguished Favorite Book in the Independent Press Awards and makes the perfect gift for anyone in a time of transition, graduating high school or college, beginning a new job, or entering retirement. No matter where you are in life, it is never too late to make today matter. Available everywhere books are sold. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie. We are talking today with Dr. Rick Brinkman about strategies to deal with people we cannot stand. Rick, we're uh, talking about things we can do to change the situation and strategies, and one of them I know has a lot to do with our attitude. Uh, Could you tell us how we can use our attitude to shift our attitude? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, attitude is, uh, is really, you know, there's four choices you always have. You can do nothing and suffer. Uh, you can leave. In fact, in doing research for the book, Dealing with Relatives, we found the number one coping strategy, geography, get far enough away. You can change your attitude or you can change your behavior. And, of course, changing your attitude also facilitates a success in behavioral change. And I've found over the years that when people understand this lens of understanding and start to understand why their coworkers, friends, family, et cetera, are acting the way they do, suddenly it's not like, oh, I don't need this crap. They, they understand what this person really needs from them. Uh, you know, um, both my parents are survivors of Auschwitz, and uh, at the end of the war, the Russian front was advancing fast, and my mother's part of a thousand girls would take their death march with the snow. You stop on a so-called rest break and dig a ditch in the road to slow the Russian tanks. At one point, when I stopped the camp, she breaks down and starts to cry. The German soldier says, Wasserlos. She said, I can't take it anymore. It's freezing, starving. I want this to be over. Kill me. He tears a sandwich and hands her half and says, listen, the war is almost over. Now is not the time to die. Now watch yourself. Stand guard in front of that fire. The next day, she woke up and had some hope and saw that when they went through deserted German towns in the road bent and crescent, there's a blind spot. She noticed that night when they stopped the camp in a field outside the deserted town that there were many times minutes over with no guards to be seen. And at one point, she just got up and walked away, went into this town, found a house. There was a Christmas tree inside with apples on it, ate the apples, and then realized that her sisters were still back there, a friend. So she snuck back and let herself be captured, explained it to opportunities. The next day they're marching, they all get away. And uh, ultimately, my father survives. They find each other through miracles. But what she always did, she always kept the book Mengele on herself. Mengele was a Nazi doctor who wrote the twins at Auschwitz because my mother was an identical twin at Auschwitz. She never felt bad about anything. She'd pull out that book, open up somewhere, read a page or two, and all of a sudden, present circumstances is not so bad. That's called perspective. I know my co-author's father, uh, Alan Kirshner, 
when things would go wrong, he'd say, you know what, 100 years from now, what difference will this make? And when somebody fills up their field of vision with 100 years, it shrinks down the significance of that person or situation. And once you make that attitude adjustment, you not only feel better, but now you're going to be more successful with making a behavioral adjustment and getting people out of that danger zone. Great advice. Great insight. Um, you, and with all the people you've seen and throughout your entire life and all these different experiences, if you were to uh, identify a thread that goes through the lives of those people who are finding the greatest peace and joy in life, who, what would you, how would you describe them? What is the attributes? What is it that makes them such? I think they really do keep things in perspective. They know what's worth uh, stressing about and what's not. I mean, I clearly saw this in my parents. They, everybody knew them, thought they were unique individuals because they had such a, a level of perspective for the rest of their life. And, uh, you know, that to know that you can make a difference. You know, we're all making a difference in the lives of others, everyone around us. And what kind of difference do you want to make? And, you know, by learning good communication skills and you can transform the people around you and that's what i've made my life's mission well i know you have a new book out too it has to do with meanings and i want to bring you back uh sometime next year to talk about that Uh, yes meetings the context that brings out the worst in people who otherwise might be at their best and imagine you have an opportunity to use all these things we talked about today when you're in those meetings, probably rapid fire. But with that, we're going to have to close out. Uh, our time is over. I really want to thank you, Rick, for joining us today. Uh, we will post a link on your books to our website, and we'll post your website to our website so people can go there and, and contact you. If you tuned in late, you can listen to this and past shows by downloading podcasts by going to our website, TheMentorsRadio.com, TheMentorsRadio.com. When you are there, make it easy for yourself and subscribe to future shows. Thank you for listening. We will be back next weekend at this time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio Show. And until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all that you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.